the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The John Steigerwald Show, sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Portions of today's program may be pre recorded. Finally rewarded after 52 years. Yeah, 60 Minutes, the show on CBS, uh, not the minutes that make up an hour, must be struggling to find guests. Because on Sunday, they brought on a guy who's been wrong about everything for over 50 years. But at least it made him eligible for a really prestigious award. And now, it's time for The Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. His name is Paul Ehrlich. He's a biologist. He's been predicting the end of the world about every 10 years. He's now 90, which means he's outlived his own predictions. But on Sunday, on 60 Minutes, he said with a straight face that humans would need five planet Earths to sustain the current rate of population growth. Growth, I should say. Here's what he was saying back in 1970. Now, uh, given the population explosion, let alone in this country, what can the government, what ought the government to do about this? Well, what it ought to do is this. The first thing, you want, you don't want to put, I, I'm against government interference in our lives. You want to minimize that. So the very first thing the government should do is try and take the pressure off to reproduce. There's a lot of pressure in our society now to reproduce. If you're single, people try and push you into getting married. You know, uh, you, your wife, you have a, a, a bachelor over and your wife says, gee, shouldn't I have a nice girl over? The idea is, you know, nobody should escape. So there's pressure to get married. Young couples, if they don't have children, people say, gee, they must be sterile. They never say, gee, maybe they like uh, good wine and going to the theater and so on. They prefer that to scraping diapers. So there's pressure to have children. So the first thing that should happen is that the president ought to say, from now, here on out, no intelligent, patriotic American family uh, ought to have more than two children, preferably one, if you're starting a family now. Not, not any law, but just say, this is what responsible people do. He ought to make the FCC see to it that large families are always treated in a negative light on television wherever they appear. There ought to be a tremendous amount of television time devoted to spot commercials, the sort we've had against smoking. Uh, but ones in the middle, say, in the middle of Beverly Hillbillies, you get a scene which shows Los Angeles in the smog, and it just says this city has a fatal disease. It's called overpopulation, and so long. Uh, now, that sort of campaign, you could, you could have a census, a sample census, which would see whether that was having the desired effect. If that didn't, you could move to giving women bonuses for not having babies. That almost certainly would do the job. If that didn't have the effect, then you could move to changing the tax structure uh, so that people who had the money and had the children paid for the children. In other words, you would increase taxes on people with children rather than decrease them since they, when they have the children, they require more services. If that doesn't work, uh, then you'll have the government legislating the size of the family. And people say, oh, that's impossible. Government can never intrude and tell you how many children to have. Well, I got news. You know, it intruded a long time ago and told you how many wives you can have. Uh, and there's not the slightest question that if we don't get the population under control with voluntary means, that in the not-too-distant future, the government will simply tell you how many children you can have and throw you in jail if you have too many. Yeah, and this guy's been asked for his expert opinion over and over and over again for 50 years. And he was just on, as I said, 60 minutes this week being asked for his opinion, despite being wrong about everything for 50 years. Well, we didn't have the award to give back in 1970, but fortunately for Paul Ehrlich, he lived long enough to become 2023's first AM 1250 The Answer Jerk of the Week. And we come back, Dr. Fauci's biggest fib. It changed the world and not for the better. And in our second half hour, the city of Pittsburgh stars in a movie with Tom Hanks. Unfortunately, the movie stinks. Stick around. John Steigerwald here for Johnny and Jesse Samick, my friends over at Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. 
When disaster strikes your home or business, demand the yellow van. Fire, water, or mold, Service Masters technicians are trained and equipped to get you back to normal fast. Even when dealing with insurance, you have a choice who repairs and cleans up the mess. Make sure you demand the yellow van. Call Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Service Master. Attention! If you owe money to the IRS, this is an urgent message. The IRS is cracking down by sending out heart-stopping letters, aggressively garnishing paychecks, seizing bank accounts, and putting liens on homes and businesses. They call it enforced compliance, and you better watch out because penalties and interest on unpaid taxes compound daily, making it seem impossible to ever get out of debt. Don't let the tax debt destroy your life. You need to call Optima Tax Relief, the number one tax resolution firm. They're experts in the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks that the IRS has ever offered. If you qualify, you could save thousands. Optima's resolved over $1 billion of tax debt for their clients. A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, they'll fight to get you the best deal possible. Call Optima now for a free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. When you have errands to run, do you like to run all over town, or do you try to make as few stops as possible? It's nice when you can get everything in one place, isn't it? This is Beth Andrews from Networth Advisors. I believe the same is true for retirement planning. You shouldn't have to go to one place for tax planning, another for estate planning, and another for retirement income planning. That's why Networth Advisors was started. I wanted to build a company that could help families with all aspects of their retirement planning. We're more than just convenient. We're knowledgeable and experienced. To set up a meeting with the Networth Advisors team to talk about your retirement, call 800-426-1428. That's 800-426-1428. One stop for a wealth of retirement solutions. Networth Advisors, 800-426-1428. Firm offers insurance services but does not provide legal advice. Networth Advisors LLC is a registered investment advisor. Hey, have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but then when you go to use it, it's not very absorbent? It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry? Well, that's why my pillow has developed the MyPillow towels. Towels that work. I know, it's mind-blowing. Towels that actually dry you? Their six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now, you can get a six-piece set for only $39.98 with promo code STAG. Go to MyPillow.com right now, click on the radio listener special. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty, and they have their 60-day money-back guarantee. To receive this amazing offer on the six-piece set off MyPillow Towels, just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special, and enter promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087. That's 800-716-8087 or just go to MyPillow.com, promo code STAG. 9,997. No, no, no. Suppose Thomas Edison had given up. 9,998. But his failures only led him to the next idea. 9,999. Picture Times Square, dim, Las Vegas, dark, your home, black. Picture no electric light. 10,000. Come on, come on. (laughs) Optimism. Pass it on. From the Foundation for a Better Life at values.com. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. Now, lots of people are talking about January 6th, 2021 today, but something happened on March 11th, 2020 that affected the lives of a lot more people. Jeffrey Tucker is the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. He joins us now. Jeffrey, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for uh, caring about this issue. Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to get people to care, and it really matters. It's uh, what destroyed liberty in America. I, I care about it a lot, believe me. Uh, So uh, the headline on your piece at brownstone.org says, Fauci fibbed on the day everything changed. So what was his big fib, and why did everything change? Well, so what what happened was that, you know, there's all these rumors of a a virus, and and people wanted to ask the doctor, how bad is it? How many people are going to die? How am I going to know if I'm sick? Uh, You know, how bad is it going to be? Am I going to die? Am I going to die? And he testified 
before the uh, House subcommittee on the on the topic. And, you know, very well-trained. This guy is, you know, might as well be a, a great actor, Shakespearean actor or something like that. But he played the part of the doctor giving the news that uh, uh, that you've got a fatal disease and you're going to be dead in 30 days, right? So he, he, he gave a testimony trying to explain the severity of, of COVID. And he started by saying, well, let me just say he wildly exaggerated by some 300,000% the severity of, of COVID, and and after having alarmed everybody in the whole room, this is March 11th. This is long before it was like about five days before all the restrictions came into place, shutting down the churches and the schools and everything all over the country. Um, uh, he wildly exaggerated the severity of the virus, led led everybody in the room to to think that one in ten people dead is not an unreasonable uh, assumption, and then told everybody that the only fix was to mitigate the virus with extreme measures of controlling people's movements at home. Now, after you could, and on my article, I have a, a clip of that, and you can see uh, how it is that the entire country went insane. And I think it was Fauci that pulled the trigger. He, he's the guy who pulled the trigger, but... Why do you think what he said was, as you write in your piece, quote, clearly designed to generate panic? Yeah, it was just a way in which he presented the evidence. So they asked him, how severe is this going to be? Instead of giving a clean answer that he had two weeks earlier in the New England Journal of Medicine, where he said, this is basically going to be a, a bad flu at worst. Okay, he said that two weeks earlier. This time... He started by saying, well, the last coronavirus we had uh, was SARS-CoV-1 from 2002, and we had 8,000 infections and 775 people died, so a 9 to 10% fatality rate, which is wrong, by the way, but that's what he said. And, and he said, um, now, that was over two years. This one has only been around a few months, and it's spread a lot further, so just with that opening statement, you've got everybody really shaken. You know, you think you're living in the movie Contagion at that point. And then he goes on to say that uh, the second statement was that uh, that China uh, initially reported 2% fatality rate, but it's more likely 3 Okay, so that was the second statement. Now, everybody listening is going, oh, yeah, China's minimizing the dangers of the virus. So it must be much more severe. But he said, once we include uh, mildly symptomatic and asymptomatic individuals, we might be able to reduce the fatality rate down to 1%. Okay? And that's where he left it. And he said, but keep in mind, that's 10 times worse than the flu. Okay? There's so many things wrong with the statement. But let's just say that uh, in the end, the infection fatality uh, rate for 0 to 19 was about 0.0003%, which is as close to zero as you could possibly get. Um, on, on average, the overall population groups, uh, we're looking at an IFR of 0.09%, which is actually slightly less than his stated and claimed IFR of flu. So, but, so he was exaggerating for some demographics by 300,000%, uh, but for all demographics, at least by, by, by uh, twice. So uh, very, or by 10 times, actually. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, was, it was a manipulative and an evil statement. I believe, and I wrote this, that it was all designed to whip up a kind of public frenzy to push for his preferred agenda, which was lockdowns. Okay, so this is what's very confusing to me, or disturbing, I guess, maybe but might be a better word. If what you're saying is true, this is a doctor who's taking advantage of the fact that he's a doctor and everybody else isn't. Because, you know, when you, when you go to a... You don't make an appointment with a doctor and go for his advice, and then when he tells you what you have, argue with him. Uh, you maybe go get a second opinion, but you you know you, he's the doctor and you're not. So he was in that position talking to all these very powerful people. And was it, in your opinion, stupidity 
ignorance or evil? Uh, no, I, th- I definitely think it was the latter. And I will, I will say that he, this, this man is not a stupid man. He's not a stupid man. He knows about natural immunity. He knows about the way to mitigate it against viruses, which is get healthy, get sunshine, get rest, uh, uh, get some vitamin D. He knows all these things. He knows that pandemics come and go uh, with the virus going from pandemic to endemic uh, via natural immunity. He knows you can't vaccinate your way out of a pandemic, especially with a coronavirus. That's constantly mutating. He knows all this stuff. We've seen him talk about it in interviews. He's not a stupid man. The question is, why did he leave all of his knowledge and understanding on on the table? Why did he Why did he just you know pack it away in some bag somewhere and arrive at that uh, hearing with uh, with, uh, with spreading panic? He knew exactly what he was doing, and I think the purpose was to create mass fear and to inspire panic among the politicians who are gathered there. These guys are not, like Rand Paul is one of the few medical doctors in that political class up there. Most of them are not trained in this area. They're, they're, what they're good at is getting elected, right? Mm-hmm. And so, as you said, you know, this fancy doctor shows up and he said, you know, basically um, uh, a lot of your constituents are going to die and, and uh, some of you in this room are going to die. And, and, oh, the other thing that's really important, so, so the distinguishing mark of SARS-CoV-2, which we knew from February of 2020, is the huge gradient of risk between the young and the old. It's about a thousand-fold difference, 1,000-fold difference between the risk to the young and the old, which means that if you're elderly and if you have comorbidities, as we knew from the Diamond Princess, we knew all the data at the out of China said this, you need to protect yourself and you need to probably stay away from the Justin Bieber concerts and, the, and, yeah. and so on. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. it's not complicated, right? Right, right. right. But he could Pretty have simple. said that. He could have said that. Uh, he never once in that entire testimony mentioned the demographic gradient of risk. Not once. He implied that the risk was the same for everybody in the, sa- in, in the population. Everybody was the same. Uh, that that was extremely, uh, I would say, duplicitous at best, uh, even evil, because it promoted panic, which traditional public health principles have always said the worst thing you can do in the case of a pandemic is panic the population. People need rationality and clarity, clarity above all else, not panic. That's not going to mitigate a virus. Uh, but he chose panic. Uh, why? I mean, we could... We could talk about that all day. Yeah, well, that to me, that's the. I, I it's just I, I'm supposed to. We all are supposed to, and it's and I'm not saying I'm I'm not possible of imagining this, but this is a mad scientist who, after he says all this stuff in front of Congress, uh, as he's riding in his car in his limo, leaving to go wherever he went, he's in the back seat rubbing his hands together and cackling. You know, that that that's for someone who would do. Uh, so, uh, would 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 create the kind of panic that he created worldwide right. panic? Wouldn't you have right. to be a, like a? You'd have to be actually insane, wouldn't you? Either that, or he was part of an agenda. And I, you know, look, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I always think it's better to uh, uh, to, to explain events by virtue of stupidity and simplicity rather than conspiracy. Mm-hmm. However. There's no question that there was a move on at the time to get Trump to cause some sort of national calamity uh, that would uh, drive him out of office. And and I, I haven't put it all together yet, but I, I do think that this pandemic issue was designed in part by some for that purpose. Well, he's at least. There's a video of him that I just saw the other day, and I, I had seen it before, but I'd forgotten about it. There's a video of him, I think it's 2017 or, tw- uh, well, I think it must have been before Trump was elected in 2016. But he was uh, on, he's on video saying that there will be a surprise pandemic at yeah. some point yeah. in his, yeah. how would he know that, number one, and right. why would he say it? 
Well, I think that they, <laughs> listen to me. I do think that there was a toolkit out there on the on the part of certain administrative state, deep state actors uh, that if it really gets really bad and we get a really non-compliant uh, president, for example, um, we can always have a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And he knew that. And uh, at some point, somewhere between, I would say, like the February 26th and February 29th of 2020, he decided to sign up for that the deployment of this of this plan. Now, just keep in mind that there had been many germ uh, tabletop exercises going on for the previous 12 months. You know, I wrote about one called Crimson Contagion. There was also one called Event 201, where public health officials and national security states and State Department people, all these people, they had been involved in, in planning how they're going to shut down the country for for a, for a pandemic. Uh, the, the latter one, the, the first one, I mean, the Crimson Contagion, overlapped perfectly in time with the arrival of, of, of SARS-CoV-2. So, um, look, I'm, you know, I, I think these things cry out for an explanation. I really do. And, and honestly, I think a lot of Americans at this point smell a rat about this whole uh, COVID. It changed our lives. Like fundamentally, we couldn't go to church. Like we couldn't send our kids to school. We couldn't get dentistry. We had travel restrictions between states. Even now, unvaccinated foreigners can't get into the country. I, I was just on a uh, Twitter space just now with a woman whose uh, whose fiance uh, is is doesn't have a U.S. passport. She hasn't seen him in three years and still can't see him. So this is not. This is not America, right? What's going on right now? We've got a surveillance going on. We've got a captured media. We've got terrible things happening in this country. It, a lot of it was kicked off uh, by, this, by these COVID restrictions. The vaccine mandate in cities. We've never seen this before. So why is this all of this happening now and under the cover of a, 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 of a virus that in the end was, was on par with the flu, which we know from all the epidemiological studies. I just think it, it deserves a, a deeper investigation. That's why I wrote my article investigating this uh, testimony of March 11th, because I really do believe that Fauci's testimony before the House of Representatives that day was the turning point. And we're talking to Jeffrey Tucker. He's the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. You can find the piece at brownstone spelled with an e b-r-o-w-n-s-t-o-n-e uh dot org and uh make sure you read it so uh, before we finish up here jeffrey you write that the world and you just said it here is not the same and he never should have been given so much power and influence but i'm guessing if i had him on the other line he would accuse you of being a monday morning quarterback and and, and saying you're not allowing for him adjusting to the facts as they became evident yeah well, so there's a couple of points about that. One is that Fauci claims he never did anything. Mm-hmm. He never locked anybody down. He right. never advocated for school closures. And so he contradicts himself all the time. But, but as far as he's concerned, he's perfectly innocent. But here's the bottom line on all this stuff. And this is what I want you listeners to really just take away. We've never handled pandemic this way ever in American history. We don't lock down the country for viruses. We didn't do it in... Uh, 2002, uh, 2009 with H1N1, that was a potentially very scary virus. We didn't do it in 2006 with the avian bird flu. We didn't do it in 68, 69. That was a terrible flu. 57, 58, which was worse. Uh, if you look at the demographics of death, age-adjusted uh, demographics of death from uh, 57, 58, it was, it was really terrible. Uh, we didn't do it for polio from 40 to 43. We didn't do it for the parrot flu in 29. This is a free country. We have a Bill of Rights, we have a Constitution. We also believe in real medical science, which acknowledges that pandemics come and pandemics go. Natural immunity, for the most part, takes care of things, but the vulnerable population should protect themselves. That's the plan. That was the plan from the World Health Organization and from the CDC. Something went dreadfully wrong in 2020, where we threw out all traditional public health principles and the rule of law 
and did things that this country was founded not to do, which is, for example, violate uh, freedom of religion, uh, close schools and, and impose travel restrictions and stay-at-home orders and all the rest of it. And the country has not been the same. We have an urgent job now, all of us, which is to recapture our freedom, our rights, and to not be intimidated by the likes of Fauci. Hey, uh, and I would love to have him on the on the radio show with me right now. Truly. <laughs> hey, Jeffrey, I'm out of time. Great stuff. Uh, find the um, the piece at brownstone.org. And thanks for being on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Florida Senator Rick Scott is defending the pushback from conservative Republicans in the battle for House Speaker. Bob Agnew reports. Senator Scott defends the effort by a handful of GOP members to stop Kevin McCarthy from taking over as Speaker. After all, democracy is messy. Scott says the standoff may offend moderate Republicans, but not most GOP voters. I think now there's a lot of people who said, look, we're tired of 31 and a half dollars for the debt. We're tired of running big deficits. We're tired of all this wokeness. So Scott says the current battle is exactly what the public wants to see. They want to know what are we going to do when we win. Senator Rick Scott of Florida was interviewed by the Salem Radio Network. Bob Agner reporting. And the 13th ballot is now underway. America's employers adding a solid 223,000 jobs in December. The unemployment rate fell from 3.6 to 3.5 percent, matching a 53-year low. This is SRN News. Hi, this is Dennis Prager. As you know, the culmination of my life's work has been writing my Rational Bible Commentary series. I have done Genesis, Exodus, and the just-released Deuteronomy. They are all called the Rational Bible because my approach is entirely reason-based. My motto is, if it doesn't make sense, I don't accept it. If you look up the 5,000 reviews on my Rational Bible volumes, you will see how many lives I have changed. Whether you are a Jew, a Christian, an atheist, or a member of some other religion, it doesn't matter. This speaks to your mind and your heart in explaining the most important books ever written, the Rational Bible. The latest is Deuteronomy, the most quoted book of the nation's founders. So if you're looking for the perfect gift, even for someone with no faith, in fact especially, I recommend giving them my Rational Bibles. Go to PragerStore.com. You can buy them individually or as a complete set. All Rational Bibles sold in the Prager Store are autographed by me. Go to PragerStore.com. That's PragerStore.com or click the banner on my website. Brandon Tatum explains the strategy. I think I have the diagnoses of how black people get tricked all the time by Democrats. The Democrats have not done anything that makes any sense for the black community. They don't care. They told you what you wanted to hear to take advantage of you. All they want is your vote. All they want is power and control. And they're going to do whatever they want to do after they get it. The Officer Tatum Show. Weeknights at 7 on AM 1250. The Answer. Whose rulebook do you want to play by? The government's or your own? This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Without a proper estate plan, many families end up playing by the government's rulebook and losing a lot of what they'd intended to leave to their families. That's why Abernathy and Hagerman presents free, ongoing estate planning workshops with attorney Dan Reimer to help you protect what's yours and make sure the government plays by your rules. The next one's happening soon. For details and to attend, visit a-h.law. Hi, this is Rhett Rasmussen of besthotgrill.com. We make the amazing Solaire infrared gas grills that are built to last and will consistently deliver better than restaurant grilled food. The Solaire infrared burner heats up to 1,000 degrees in just three minutes, even in the dead of winter. The high heat locks in the juices and flavor and grills food faster. Learn more about these fantastic USA-made grills at besthotgrill.com. Solaire. Hot, fast grills at besthotgrill.com. Hey, John Steigerwald here for Johnny and Jesse Samick, my friends over at Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. When disaster strikes your home or business, demand the yellow van. Fire, water, or mold, Service Master's technicians are trained and equipped to get you back to normal fast. Even when dealing with insurance, you have a choice who repairs and cleans up the mess. Make sure you demand the yellow van. Call Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Service Master. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or Odyssey. 
1250, The Answer. Weather. We'll see mostly cloudy skies for tonight. Expect a nighttime low of 31. Mostly cloudy skies continue tomorrow. Tomorrow will reach a high of 36. Partly cloudy skies tomorrow night with a low of 24. Cloudy skies Sunday with occasional rain in the afternoon. We'll wrap up the weekend with a high of 37. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. So, uh, Tom Hanks has a new movie, which is nothing new. He cranks them out pretty regularly. But this one, uh, this new one is shot in Pittsburgh, and it opens here next week. It's called A Man Called Otto, O-T-T-O. Christian Toto is the guy at HollywoodandToto.com, and he's here to tell you how Hanks and Pittsburgh did in the movie. Uh, Christian, thanks for being on the show again. Oh, my pleasure. So, let's start with Pittsburgh. How did the city do in the movie? Well, it's set in a pretty confined area. It's one of those movies where it's basically around a block, and it is kind of the winter time. So I don't think it's a uh, a sunny look, but not too bad. And every time the uh, the city gets a close up, it's a good thing. But uh, I, I think the issue is that you know Tom Hanks has made some great movies over the years, and he always gives a good performance. But this isn't a good movie. That's the that's, that's the bottom line. Well, because a lot of people in Pittsburgh will go see it because it's gotten some publicity around here. There was some publicity when he was here shooting it. And people are always curious to see if they can spot things, you know, in the landscape. And uh, is there there a shot of the, uh, I don't know if you remember this, is is there a shot of uh, somebody coming through the Fort Pitt Tunnel into the city? You know, I I saw it a couple weeks ago, so I don't remember that specifically. But again, sort of the the bulk of the movie is set in this neighborhood complex. So I think that's, it's going to limit it sort of the amount of... uh, uh, the fun visuals, but there may be a, there may be a scene or two yeah. you check out. Well, does does Hank play an old grouch? Is that the idea? He does. He is as cranky as we've ever seen him on screen, and uh, that's a little bit of a change of pace for Hank. So he's usually the good guy. You know, he's sully. He's sweet like Forrest Gump. You know, a lot of lovable, memorable characters. But as the movie opens, this guy's a jerk. I mean, he's dressing down people at the supermarket. He's barking at his neighbors in ways you just won't expect. So. You know, but when you see the story and you understand what's going on, you know that kind of crusty exterior will soften a bit as the story goes on. Now, is he portrayed as a guy who has lived in that neighborhood a long time? Is he a Pittsburgh guy? I'm I'm asking because I'm trying to I'm trying to picture a Pittsburgh guy running around telling people that he doesn't like the way they're dressed and what what the reaction would be. You know, it seems like he's been at the location in general for a while, for sure. Okay. And one of the things that's actually good about the character, he's he's old school in a in a, a very helpful way. He can fix a radiator. He can, uh, you know, do things around the house that the locals just can't do. And it's, in a way, I thought one of the interesting things about the movie is that it's a, kind of a commentary on modern times where you're 20-something, you're 30-something people. They've lost some of the basics, you know how to change oil in your car, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's who Otto is. He's really kind of a throwback. You know, he drives a manual car and his friends can't only, you know, can only drive an automatic. So, you know, and that is seen as a positive where as cranky as he is and as much of a pain as he is to deal with, he's the guy you turn to when, 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 you know, when stuff hits the fan, he's there for you. So that's, that's yeah. interesting. So he doesn't have patience for, for young people who don't know how to drive a stick or Not can't, can't fix all. a radio. <laughs> Patience is in short supply in this movie. Trust me, he's, <laughs> he's always complaining. Well, you know, just for uh, this is, uh, uh, I guess, applies to nothing, but maybe it does. Um, that Pittsburgh is, I think, and this is uh, maybe it's changed recently, but for a long time, and I, I'm pretty sure it's still the same. Uh, there are Pittsburgh is a city that has more people living in it who always lived in it than any city in America. And you might be able to apply that to like Allegheny County, more so than just a city. So th- th- uh, this, this guy, if, he, if, if he's a Pittsburgh guy, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it was whoever wrote it, I guess, maybe they just stumbled upon it, but they, they kind of captured what old Pittsburgh guys like me are like. They have been here forever, and they just don't have a whole lot of patience for change or they don't have a whole lot of patience for incompetence. So in that yeah. sense, it may have been an accurate portrayal of a, of a Pittsburgh guy. Although this, is, this movie's based on a, a European movie, isn't it? 
Yeah, it was. It's a remake of a European film, but they definitely made some changes along the way. And that is an interesting point. And the one sort of the somber part of the story is that his wife has recently passed, and he was dearly in love with her, and they had a wonderful relationship. So I think that combined with feeling out of touch, he's been kind of almost forcefully retired from his job. It, you know, I described it in my review as sort of a you know a square peg in a round hole, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Just Things don't fit for him anymore, and that's made him even more cranky. Well, you say that the movie doesn't, uh, quote, even have a mild relationship with reality. Why? Well, you know, listen, the neighbors, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a pretty uh, low-key guy. Yeah. If, if, if Otto was around me, I think I'm like, just swinging at him. He's so cranky and so cruel and so mean. And I think the movie does a, a disservice where, listen, you could be a little crusty. But the way he dresses down everyone in his perimeter mm. is is kind of nauseating. So I think, you know, <laughs> you want to see him kind of soften. But to go from that to a nicer gentleman is it's a tough sell. And I, even Tom Hanks can't really pull it off. Is it, is it supposed to be a comedy? You know, it's a drama with lighthearted moments. Uh, at one point, Otto has a, uh, an encounter with a, with a hospital clown that I... I uh. think was meant to be le- funny. It, it didn't strike me as funny at all. It seemed kind of pathetic and, and strained. So it, it's sort of a slice of life movie where there are some humorous elements, but it's not an out now comedy. So he, is he beat up the clown? Is he slapping around a little bit? <laughs> it's off screen, but <laughs> you know, I don't know how you pick a fight with a clown. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> they scare me. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, again, that's just part of his character. Is he, he takes no guff. Well, you know, I think about the person sitting around writing the movie, the, the, the people writing the screenplay, or the, or the person writing the screenplay, and they're thinking, well, how can we show that this guy's yeah, kind of a tough, <laughs> tough nut, and the, you know, maybe a little bit of a grouch? I know. Let's have him beat up a clown. That would, you know, maybe they thought of a nun first, and then they, they, you know, they kind of pulled that back and went with the clown. The first draft had the nun, yeah. and then it was, <laughs> then it was a, a child with disabilities, and yeah. they kind of pushed the clown, so they, yeah. kind of, they kind of softened it a bit. I will say that the early audience reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a pretty key indicator, yeah. are, are pretty positive. It was around the 90% range when I saw it. It is a sentimental film. It is sort of feel-good in a way. And I think, you know, listen, I'm a film critic. I am more critical than the average person at times, for sure. So, you know, it, it may kind of generate some goodwill that way and of course you know tom hanks is great in everything he does mm-hmm. and i think even when he's in a mediocre movie he shines so you know a tom cruise a tom hanks movie is always something you know so even even if it's not his best we're talking to christian toto of hollywood and com, and the new movie uh, coming out next week starring tom hanks and the city of pittsburgh because it was shot here it's called uh, a man called Otto. so you mentioned what a great actor tom hanks is is um is he has he reached a level where he could come out and I don't know read out of the phone book if the phone book still existed and <laughs> some people would give him great reviews and say what a great job he did. You know he is that beloved in a way. And by the way, I interviewed him years ago. It might have been when he was doing his Castaway movie, and I asked him. I said, "You often play very kind of good characters, noble characters. Would you want to play a dark, darker version, a bad guy?" And he didn't take it very well. And, you know, he was very nice in general, but he didn't like that question. He said, I, I get that a lot. And he kind of went into a little bit of a, a ramble. But, you know, he does have a Jimmy Stewart vibe where he's sort of the everyman. And I think that that speaks to his talent. And, you know, in a way, I don't know if I want Tom Hanks to be a cruel villain in the movie. I, I, there's something kind of wonderful about him. And there's a presence about him that maybe he should, you know, maybe staying in his lane in that way actually works for everyone. Is that a cultivated thing? By him? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, I, he didn't really answer it from that perspective. But, you know, if you look at him, he's handsome. He's kind of likable looking. Sometimes we kind of play into, you know, like a Ray the Auto who passed away last year. Yeah. Um, you know, had a, had a face that was a little more stern. You could see him in a more scowling sense, you know, and, and not even as an actor, just, just the way he was made. So I, I think Tom Hanks has a very kind of benevolent face. And I think maybe that's where the casting begins and the talent takes over. And then essentially the brand becomes, you know, solidified over the years too. And this would have been a great movie, by the way, for Michael Keaton, who's a Pittsburgh guy. Um, and I can, I haven't seen the movie, but just based on your description of it, it sounds like a movie that he'd be good in. And I, I'm just wondering if you, if you, if you compare Tom Hanks and Michael Keaton, uh, Michael, Michael Keaton, uh, well, I, I don't, I don't think, um, I can't see Tom Hanks doing Beetlejuice 
okay? <laughs> but Michael Keaton can do Beetlejuice, and he also can do Mr. Mom, and he also did, uh, what was the one about uh, uh, Pacific Heights, where he played a real psychopath and a mean, nasty guy. And um, it, it, if you were comparing the two, uh, uh, I don't know, looking back on these two guys, the way we look back on Jimmy Stewart and, I don't know, Cary Grant, would they would they be similar in some ways, or how how would Michael Keaton be judged as an actor? Just based, it seems to me, on having more versatility. I think it's a great point. I actually think Michael Keaton would have been better in this movie. I think he, I think Michael Keaton, even though he came of age as a comedian and a funny guy, there's an edge to him. There's a darkness there. Mm-hmm. I think they tapped it in Batman. You mentioned Pacific Heights, uh, and I think that he. Yeah, I, I think he's got a, a wider range. You know, even uh, Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan, it was a great performance. He's always wonderful. It, it, there was some, there was an everyman aspect of that as well, and I think that Keaton isn't that, and and that's to his credit. Actually, I think he can go to darker places sometimes, and uh, I, I think Keaton would be better here. And I also think that uh, when they cast him as Batman years ago in '89. Everyone freaked out because he didn't seem like the Batman heroic no, type. No. He didn't have that, that chisel look, but he pulled it off beautifully. And I think he had that sort of sense of danger within him that people didn't expect and didn't see coming, but he brought it. Yeah, he and I ran around a little bit in college. We both went to Kent State, and he and I are about the same age. And uh-huh. I remember when Michael Keaton won the, I think it was the Golden Globe, and he's not a big awards guy. He doesn't show up at those things very often. At least he didn't until recently. But when he won the Golden Globe for Batman, he said um, something about, you know, where I come from, and and he was talking about being a Pittsburgh guy, and this hit home with me. I remember in his speech, he said, where I come from, if you want me to succeed, just tell me I can't do something. (laughs) And that he loved getting that award for Batman because nobody, that was the reaction. Who? Michael Keaton. You know, Imagine if they had cast him in the sort of the social media age, the Twitter outrage over that casting. Yeah. They, they would have they would have canceled him. They would have said, "No, you got to go with someone else." But thankfully, that didn't happen, and he uh, he proved pretty good in two movies. We're talking to Christian Toto of HollywoodandToto.com. Back to the to the Tom Hanks movie, which comes out next week. A man called Otto, shot here in Pittsburgh. Uh, of course, they had to work in a trans kid because you wouldn't want to be the one movie to ignore uh, 0.7% of the population. So is that the only wokeness in this movie? Uh, of course, the old grouch accepts him, though, right? Yeah, you know, here's the thing, and, and I, I mentioned this in my review. Listen, trans people are part of our community, right. and they're going to end up in movies. There's something wrong with that. But what's interesting to me, and there's a little bit of a spoiler here, but not, not too much, is that this is an old school guy. This mm-hmm. is a guy from the 50s and 60s. He's not the new generation at all. Now, he doesn't have real hatred in his heart, but he has a lot, a lot of a cantankerous nature. Now, if he kind of comes across a trans youth in the neighborhood, it, it's a different generation. He may not understand what that means. He may not understand what that, that, that person is going through. But in the movie, they want you to root for his character. So they can't show him being cruel or dismissive, or anything towards this particular character. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the woke problem comes in, because it doesn't feel authentic. If you've got this guy who's kind of an old school, you can't say, oh, he's going to be progressive, he's going to be open-minded, because the rest of the movie shows he isn't. That's you, not who he is. Right. And you don't so have it's, just, to, it's, a, it's a minor jarring note. That's all. Well, you don't have to make him hate the trans person. Right. But right. there's a difference between hating him, accepting him, and then taking him under his wing and treating him like he's, you know, he, he loves the guy. I, I yeah. th- That's just totally unrealistic. It's not going to happen. I don't know if Hanks portrays a guy who's his age. What's Hanks, about 65? Give or take, yeah. Yeah. Out there. So he plays, an, uh, he's not playing anybody younger or older. He's playing pretty much his age. Yes. Yeah, but I guess what bothers me, Christian, is not that, that that trans people don't exist and that they can't be in movies, but is there any point where it can just not be mentioned? Is it because putting it, having to include it in the movie, to me, it's just a sign that this this whole the trans movement and Hollywood's a big part of this. The trans movement is being pushed on everybody as more mainstream than it actually is. And so if if one show if a trans if you have to have a trans character in every movie, it begins to look like, well, yeah, everybody knows somebody who used to be a woman is now a man, and that's just not true. It just isn't true. 
And I think maybe it is in Hollywood where you guys, where you are, <laughs> but it ain't around here. But I think you can make the same movie and the same characters and the same themes. You don't even have to mention it. You can say, here's a kid who's, who's a paper boy. Uh, this, this particular character is feeling isolated. Yeah. And then maybe, maybe Tom Hanks's character kind of bonds in that way. He's yeah. sort of a, he's a, a, you know, doesn't fit in just like Tom Hanks's character doesn't fit in. Maybe there's a connection there. You don't even have to get, get involved with it, but you know, it, well, it is but, what it is. The story it is. And, yeah. Well, you know, maybe, maybe it makes me a bad person, but if I'm, if I go to the movie and I, I was going to go to the movie. My wife's going to drag me to it. I think, even though I now know that it stinks. But, but, but uh, uh, if I'm at that movie and I'm looking for, hey, this is going to be a good, you know, a little. It's going to be fun. It's going to be Tom Hanks. He's a great actor and City of Pittsburgh and blah blah blah. My shoulders would slump at the second that the trans character was introduced because I'd be my reaction would be, oh, here we go. Where, where are we going with this? That would be my reaction. Sorry. And you know, I, I think it's. If Hollywood was sort of telling more organic stories, that wouldn't happen. You, you would see a trans character and it wouldn't matter to you. But there's sort of a, a pattern, there's sort of a, a narrative going on within the industry where that kind of inclusion is sort of forced into stories. If it happened in, in, a, in a way that didn't draw attention to itself, who cares? It's no big deal. You know, gay people, all different yeah. people, all different walks yeah. of life and movies, and that's perfectly fine. But it, you get the sense of sort of like, oh, we need to add this element in, and this is what we're going to kind of shoehorn it in. It's not going to really feel authentic to the story, but there it is. And then, then you get the reaction you get, which is, which is you know, not, not what should be. You shouldn't get drawn out of the movie, out of the experience. Right. You should be lost in the story. And, and you shouldn't be lectured to, or, uh, you know, there shouldn't always be some kind of a theme that, that, uh, we want to make sure we get across, even if most people aren't ready for it. Um, but yeah. I, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I see that there's a movie that's come out just recently, Babylon. It's sort of the yeah. the early crazy days of Hollywood, and they deal with blackface, but they do it in a way where they can get away with it because you can't do that now, even mm -hmm. though that was happening in the early Hollywood days. So they have a black character in the movie who is told to put darker makeup on his face. Because the rest of his band members were of darker complexion, oh boy, and that people in the South might think they, that they might, might think he's a white character in this in this black band, and I'm thinking it just seemed like a a cowardly way to attack the issue because you couldn't do blackface in a traditional way, but that's what happened in Hollywood, and that's what happened in the culture, and it's wrong, but that's the way it was, and it just it, it seemed like a weird way to kind of approach the issue without really approaching the issue. Hey, I have 30 seconds uh, with yeah. Christian Toto. Quickly, your book is about wokeism in Hollywood. What's the name of the book, and where can people get yeah. it? It's Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. You can get it at Amazon or other bookstores. And, uh, you know, it's funny. It came out roughly this time last year, but sadly it's as relevant as ever. So the stories and the, and the anecdotes and the predictions are in there are uh, like I just wrote it yesterday. Hey, Christian, always love having you on, especially on Fridays when I try to keep it kind of light around here. And I hope, I hope people go see the movie, but, you know, they can make up their minds for themselves. But thanks for coming Absolutely. on and giving us the preview. No problem. Thank you. Okay, that's Christian Toto, HollywoodinToto.com. Hey, have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but then when you go to use it, it's not very absorbent? It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry? Well, that's why my pillow has developed the My Pillow towels. Towels that work. I know it's mind blowing. Towels that actually dry you. Their six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now you can get a six-piece set for only thirty-nine ninety-eight with promo code STAG. Go to mypillow.com right now. Click on the radio listener special. My Pillow products come with a ten-year warranty, and they have their sixty-day money-back guarantee. To receive this amazing offer on the six-piece set off MyPillow Towels, just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special, and enter promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087. That's 800-716-8087 or just go to MyPillow.com, promo code STAG. The bigger your 401k, the better your retirement, right? Wrong. 
The fact is, with proposed new taxes, another market crash, inflation, and rising health care costs, you could be forced to downsize your retirement. Discover the secret savvy investors are turning to for retirement security. A new 401k law that unlocks an ingenious retirement protection plan that could protect your savings from inflation and a stock market downturn while boosting your retirement income as much as 40%. It's all laid out in simple language in a new book from Josh Melberg. His insightful guide is your roadmap to retiring with confidence and it's yours free with one call. Don't risk a lifetime of work building your retirement. This little known retirement protection plan could safeguard your wealth and boost your retirement up to 40%. For your free copy of Guarantee Your Retirement by Josh Melberg, call now. Call 800-337-8051. That's 800-337-8051. 800-337-8051. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, I want to finish up with Damar Hamlin here for the week. Uh, the great news today is that he actually did a FaceTime call with uh, his friends and his teammates and gave the, the team... Uh, in uh, the team was gathered together to hear his uh, comments and he told him how much he appreciated all the support and all that stuff but also i wanted to make sure i got this in because uh we are it's great that the guy obviously the number one thing is that the guy looks like he's going to have a full recovery or at least we hope he is but he's he's alive and he's he's speaking to people and all the stuff that goes with that but a story in the washington post today about this, the uh, the condition that people have th- been saying that might have been what caused his heart attack, Commodio Cordis. Well, this is a quote. This is the money quote from Mark Link, a professor of internal medicine and director of cardiac electrophysiology at the University of Texas. The most common cause of co- sudden cardiac arrest is coronary disease. With Commodio, the way it causes sudden cardiac arrest is there are a number of variables that have to be perfect. Probably the most important is timing. An individual is susceptible to Commodio cortis for about 40 milliseconds of the cardiac cycle. Link said it has to, this, the, the impact has to be directly over the heart. It can't even be two centimeters away. And other major variables include the shape, size, and force of the striking object, which can't be too much, can't be too little. So um, this heart attack that Hamlin had was not caused by football. Let's just face it. That doesn't mean you have to be involved in a conspiracy uh, theory and say it's the, the vaccine. But we need to know what caused it so that it doesn't happen again in football, if football caused it in any way. We also need to know if it was the vaccine. Talk to you Monday. John Steigerwald Show is a production of Salem Media Group and sponsored by Service Master of Greater Pittsburgh. Demand the yellow van. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.